0: I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. We are still in chapter 1, if you can believe that. We're still in chapter 1 because we're going to continue and focus today on what God teaches us through 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, because it talks about what does it look like to be a part, or what does a healthy church plant look like? And so we're going to talk about that today from God's Word. Let's read God's holy inspired Word together. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. We're going to pray. And I know that sometimes when we pray after reading Scripture, it can become this routine. But prayer is... It's not a mere formality, it's always a necessity. So let's pray together, asking God for his help. God, thank you for your goodness to each and every one of us. God, sometimes our our, our hearts and our minds become dull to you, to the realities of what you've done, to your good news God, I pray this morning that, that we would have a fresh affection and passion for you, for your good news that has come to us through Jesus Christ and for the part that we play participating together in that. And Lord, I pray that you would stir up faith within us, within our hearts and minds. And Lord, would you stir us to action. Lord, we want to live as examples. We want to pass on the gospel. And so I pray that you would enable us to do that by your grace. God, give grace to all who hear through your Holy Spirit and empower the words that I speak, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Lord, let all the words that are not of you fall to the ground. Lord, let your words be effective. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. About 20 years ago, not quite 20 years ago, but almost 20 years ago, there was a group of families that were asking for a local church. In this group of families, they were praying, they were seeking God about the desire for a church plant here in the Greenville area. They began meeting together, began studying the Bible, they began praying and asking for a church plant, and what they wanted was a, a church plant that was marked by the gospel being central in all of life. They wanted a church plant that embodied really those distinctives we mentioned a minute ago, that embraced the sovereignty of God and salvation, that eagerly desired the Spirit and all the gifts that he has that believed in the equality of men and women and yet believed in male leadership in the home and in the church. The church that desired to spread the gospel, to make God's name known, that, that really lived out these truths each and every day, that loved God and loved each other. It's not that those churches didn't exist 20 years ago, it's just that there was a desire to have those things brought together so we might be a gospel light. And so 20 years ago, these families prayed, and this coming August will mark 20 years for us as a church. By God's grace, many people have been born again and hundreds of others have been transformed by the truth of God's word. Our church membership has changed over the years, but, but here's something that's not changed. By God's grace, we remain a healthy church that's committed to these things and we're marked by love for God and a love for one another. And this Sunday, I want to take some time to consider really, what does it mean to be a part? Because a lot of us are new, a lot of you here are new to our church and Our our demographics have changed, and so we want to take a look and say, what does it mean to be a part of a healthy church plant? What does it mean to be a healthy New Testament church that desires to and seeks to plant other churches? And I think we're going to see from the passage in Thessalonians, in just 5 through 8, we're going to see three essential qualities, if you will, of what a healthy church plant looks like. Three essential qualities of a healthy church plan. That's in a healthy church, the first thing we're going to look at is that a healthy church, the gospel is empowered by the Spirit with full conviction. In a healthy church, the gospel is empowered by the Spirit with full conviction. It's not that, that full conviction is, is speaking of. It's not that we're convicted of sin and respond. But no, empowered by the Holy Spirit with full conviction that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit that we've received the gospel and we receive that with full conviction that it's true. The question for each and every one of us though as we think about our part that we play in this healthy church is have you received the gospel of Jesus Christ not just as mere words, but is the very power of God that transform you. Is that how you look at the gospel personally? Are, are you embracing it with full conviction? Do you realize that it is the very power of the Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead? Have you received it as that? And Are you embracing it as that? And are you doing that with full conviction? You see, it's not just enough to have mere assent to the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many of you from a very young age maybe can recite the gospel and and say what it is. But in a healthy church, it's embracing the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit. Being fully convinced personally of the necessity of the good news in your own life and the power of God in your life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not after abstract truth. We don't want just abstract head knowledge. We're looking for a personal experience that we've received the Holy Spirit of God and then we hold fast to the good news with a full conviction. You see, the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they would have known the truth. The Pharisees in Jesus' day, they knew their Old Testaments. They could probably recite most of the Old Testament from a very early age. They were taught God's word. They knew all the objective truths of God's word, and yet they didn't embrace it for themselves. They didn't embrace Jesus as the Messiah themselves, and they, they didn't respond to him. But you think about it for a minute. The, the Pharisees, they were morally good people. They, they might have made good neighbors at least in one sense, they probably mowed their lawn. They kept things up. They planted bushes and trees. They made things look nice on the outside. They were um, very fastidious. They would have kept a tidy home, an immaculate lawn, been respectful of your property. They would, would have given regularly, been involved in, in, in conservative community events. They would have been conservative morally, ethically. You could trust them to do the moral thing in the community. And yet they had no personal love for Jesus. The Apostle John tells a story about one of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He came to Jesus at night and he told Jesus and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Did you get that? He didn't say, we know you're a teacher but we know you came from God. And if they really knew he came from God, they'd know the truth that Jesus came from God and yet they did not embrace it. He's speaking for, on behalf of the Pharisees, he was a teacher of the Pharisees. He says, we know we Pharisees, we know that. We know your teacher come from God. He says, because no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So the Pharisees, they they knew the truth. They knew that Jesus had come from God. They knew that, that God Himself was with Jesus. And yet they had not embraced it. They had not become fully convinced, fully convicted. That the gospel was true personally. That, that they had not received the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, he responds to Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus had not at the time fully placed his faith in Jesus. And so Nicodemus was told, he says, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus had just told Nicodemus that that you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, how this this happened? I crawl back into my mother's womb. What in the world? And he says, you should know that. You're a teacher of Israel. You should know because you know the truth. But he didn't. And so Jesus says something to him that's true of the church in Thessalonica. He says, says, you have to be born of the Spirit. And unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So... As you're a part of this church, we want you to really consider, have you been born again? Have you, been, have you embraced the Spirit with full conviction? Are you living that out? And, and to kind of help diagnose that, when I ask you some questions that I want us to all consider and want us to think about, you know, what's when somebody asks you, what's the best thing that ever happened to you, what's the first thing to come to mind? Maybe it's you married your spouse or you had a baby or you achieved something. What's the most exciting thing? If somebody says, hey, what's the most exciting thing? What's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you? How do you answer that question? What's the most important thing about you? Wonder what pops in your head to begin with. What's the most important thing about who you are, about your identity? What are you called to be and do? At a most basic level, how you answer those questions is going to influence and affect how you live your life. And it's going to reveal something. It's going to reveal where your passions lie. It's going to reveal, really, have you embraced, are you most fully convinced that, that the Holy Spirit has, has given you new life in the good news in Jesus Christ, and are you fully convinced and convicted of that? If you're a Christian, the best thing that's ever happened to you is being born again. If that most exciting and the greatest thing that could ever happen to you is that you've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit, that you've... Your identity is in Christ Jesus now that you've been adopted as God's own son and daughter. That you're loved by him. And and listen, Christian, your life may seem mundane right now. It might be ordinary, but in the midst of this mundane and the ordinary, it's anything but. It is extraordinary because the Holy Spirit has made you alive, made you born again. He's given you his new life. He's empowered you. But are you fully convicted of that? Are you fully convinced Listen, don't, don't underestimate what's happened to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's nothing short of supernatural. Today there's all kinds of messages. And in the video, it spoke of one of those false gospels, false messages. There's all kinds of false messages that we can trust in or look to. There's that, you know, no message of self-help will change us, truly. No message of moralism where. We receive the good news but then rely or depend on our human obedience to keep the gospel or as our grounds of assurance. No so-called prosperity message that he mentioned in the video that that claims that we can have health and wealth and whatever we want if we only believe it enough and we name it and claim it. None of those things are the gospel. None of those things are actually good news at all. But we rely on and hope on as a healthy church is that Jesus came to do what we could never do, that he came to live in our place. He came to die for our sins. And he was resurrected to new life so that our hope is in him. We can be born again and have life in him. It's the power of God to make dead people alive. It's the power to set those who are enslaved to sin free from their captivity. That's what's happened to you. It's the power to open blind eyes and people who were once walking in darkness stumbling around to show them the light of Jesus so they can walk in the light and be completely those who were rejected can be completely accepted. Have you embraced that good news the power of the Holy Spirit that comes through the good news of the gospel and are you convinced of it enough that it informs and directs and is seen in how you live your life? Are you fully convicted? Not Not are you perfectly convicted, are you always that way, are you complete, never wavering, but are you fully convinced? Are you fully convicted? This is true, and how does it affect your life? You see, in a healthy church plant, the gospel is demonstrated in example. Not only is the gospel come in power with full conviction through the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's demonstrated in example. Look in verse 5b, it says, You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. The gospel had had an effect on Paul and Silas and Timothy personally. We talked before about how Paul had been dramatically changed. Well, so had Timothy and so had Sil- Silvanus or Silas. And they weren't proclaiming themselves, but they were proclaiming Jesus Christ, the one who died for them. And then Thessalonians, all, as we go through this letter to the Thessalonians, we're going to see really that, that Paul, he says, we shared ourselves with you. There was an effect that the gospel had on their lives. It meant that they shared themselves with the church. They loved the church. They weren't being self-seeking. They weren't being greedy. You're going to read all about that in chapter 2 and chapter 3. They were an example, he says, in all that we did. It wasn't because they were trusting in their example, but their example was because they were trusting in Jesus during all the normal, everyday, hard stuff of life. And then in in chapter 2, verse 9, it tells us that they worked day and night. But it doesn't say they worked day and night as missionaries. It's it's something interesting. It says they worked day and night. And while they worked day and night, they proclaimed the gospel. So Paul, what 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 he's talking about is probably the fact that he was a tent maker. And in Acts, it tells us about Paul's profession or what he did primarily for work. Acts 18, verse 2, it says, And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them working hard at his craft, and worked with them, sorry, for they were tent makers by trade. And Thessalonians tells us that he worked hard at his craft. He worked hard, and while he was doing that, he proclaimed the gospel. Don't think that, Christian, if you are called to some profession, engineering or maintenance or whatever you might be called to, that somehow you can't proclaim the gospel, the good news. No, we can actually proclaim that in our example on how we work and what we talk about at work, what's most important to us. Don't underestimate the power of imitation, both negatively and positively. You know, our culture seeks to imitate famous people. And it's easy to believe the lie that, that fame or power or money or the right car or the right spouse or the right degree or level of achievement, if we just have those things, that we'll be okay and we'll be happy. But let's not emulate the famous. I was just watching a video this week about 18 years ago, that guy named Steve Croft, he was interviewing a a very famous football player named Tom Brady, and he was interviewing him, even back then, he was a phenomenal quarterback, he had three, at the time, three Super Bowl rings, I don't know how many he has now, somebody here probably can tell me, six or something like that, there you go, too many, too many, if you're a Steelers fan like Aaron and I are, then too many. And he said something. He says, Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, Hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, me. I think, God, has got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there for me? Croft said, What's the answer? Brady says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. What example are you imitating? The, the Thessalonians were exam, uh, imitating the example of Paul and Silas and Timothy and also of Jesus. Because any other example is going to come up empty. Any other person or thing we're imitating that's not following hard after Jesus, we're going to come up empty. As a, and a healthy church knows that the gospel is most important. And it's, what, it, what, it's what makes the biggest difference in our lives. When we seek to imitate those who live for Jesus by the power of the Spirit. You know, I can look back on my Christian life and there's a handful of people I can look to and I remember immediately because of their example and their influence on me. When I think of somebody who's just joyful, but not fake joy, but joyful all the time. There's a guy named Keith Jacobs. He was one of the first pastors I had in in Fairfax, Virginia. And he was was joyful. Whenever he talked about Jesus, it just kind of exploded out of him. Or think about Chris and Nora Ludic. They were... uh, they were leading the college ministry that we were part of and they, they just had joy generally. Whatever they did, it overflowed in their hospitality and what they lived for. And here's something crazy. They had four kids, four young kids at home and they opened up their house to 20 to 50 college students any given night. And they were just, now I'm not encouraging you every night of the week, by the way, to be doing that. But they opened up their house to a bunch of college kids, invited us into their home to see how they lived. They discipled us. They lived, laid down their lives for us. I want to be like that. It's not just past examples. There's many examples here in this church that we can imitate as well. Now, I'm not gonna list everybody, by the way, and I was just brainstorming as I was preparing the message, so don't get offended if I don't list you because I can actually probably pick each and every person here as a part of our church as an example that I wanna imitate. I I wanna be like Roger and Judy Easton in their sacrificial love and their care for other people. I want to be like Dana Kimberly Payne, their love for God's word and, and prayer. I want to be like Tom Chambos, who serves faithfully behind the scenes, like Missy, who, who desperately clings to God, even when things are hard physically. Or like Vivian Quinones, who, who recently, when she had a bad diagnosis, she was still filled with faith. I want to be like Vivian, like Gwen Smith, women of great faith, who have joy in Christ despite physical afflictions. I can list so many more people that that we can imitate their example, people who are living for it truly matters. That doesn't mean we all get it right, that we're perfect. And other people I mentioned are perfect. I'm not either. None of us are. But we have a perfect one whose example ultimately we imitate. And they were a church that imitated the Lord and Paul and Silas. And we want to be that kind of church. We want to be a healthy church that imitates the Lord, not, not pretend, pretends to be like Jesus, but says, I want, I want to be like that because he's affected me. He's made me alive. He's made me new. I want to be like those people who are following him. And he commended them. That, but there was a very real cost. It came in the midst of affliction. And he commends them for their example that came in the midst of great affliction. He says, you receive the gospel in the midst of great affliction with joy. That's crazy. Who does that? Who is being afflicted and has joy unless it's by the Holy Spirit? Because affliction is no good. Hard stuff is not fun, okay? When you suffer, when you're having difficulty, when you're persecuted like they were, you know, they they weren't being accepted by the Jews because they believed Jesus was the Messiah and they didn't keep all the religious rules of the Jews. They weren't accepted by the culture around them because they, they no longer followed after idols. They were accused of treason by the Roman government because they didn't place their hope in the government. And it tells us how Jason and the believers, they dragged out and made to pay bail in order to be let go. They experienced much affliction. He says, I know that you belong to God because in the midst of affliction, you receive the gospel with great joy. It was a joy that was contagious despite affliction, that was unusual. It was joy that comes from being forgiven a joy that comes from knowing that we have jesus as our friend and we're no longer enemies of god a joy that comes from being justified by god's grace a joy that comes from being adopted by god as his child that comes from knowing that that our identity is hidden with christ and no one can affect that A joy that comes from knowing jesus and knowing god personally from knowing he's never going to leave us forsake us do you have joy over these things this, these are truly joyful things that we can have joy in the midst of affliction. Joy from all the truths and the promises of God that we have in Christ Jesus. They says, all the promises of God are yes and amen, or yes and so be it in Christ Jesus. That's true. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have received all the promises of God. Maybe not fully yet, but you will. And there's an evident transformation that comes from receiving the good news like that. In the midst of circumstances, that don't make sense. He says, You became an example to all the believers, not only in your city, but all throughout the region that you lived in, all of Macedonia, and all of Achaia. Church, we want to be like that. We have, we have an opportunity to be an example and encouragement to others. You have an opportunity to be an example and encouragement to others. You can have an influence in the entire upstate. Don't, don't hey, we're a small church, but don't think small. Yes, we're not the only church. We're not saying we get everything right. We're not saying that we're the only faithful church. Or that we're the only church that is a gospel witness. But but we can be a church that is a gospel witness faithfully. We can be a church that is filled with joy that lives out an example and that expires others just like this church here in the church of Thessalonica and the city of Thessalonica. Imagine the effect that, that we can have if we're empowered by the Spirit with full conviction and we demonstrate the gospel by our example. Don't you want to be a church like that? Well, not only is it a healthy church empowered by the Spirit and, and demonstrates it in an example, but the, the gospel is passed on. The gospel is passed on. In a healthy church, the gospel is passed on. We don't just keep the good news to ourselves. I don't know if you've ever had a friend who is passionate about something so much so that you almost want them to stop telling you how passionate they are about that thing. And you smile and nod and you're like, how many more times do I have to hear about your sourdough bread recipe? I I don't want to know all of the facts you're telling me about the Marvel Universe. I already know far too much now. I don't want to know anymore. I don't want to hear how great CrossFit is. You know, every fall, you can be assured that we're going to hear people who are passionate about Clemson or about the Philadelphia Eagles. It's what comes out of us. It's what we're passionate about. It's what we celebrate. Some people are passionate about their grandkids and that's all they can do and they show you all their pictures and you're like, that was great 30 minutes ago. Some people are passionate about about things that we may not be interested in. But what you're passionate about comes out, doesn't it? I love the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus goes to the woman at the well. And she asks him some questions and she kind of avoids direct answers. And, and she's not really revealing her heart and who she really is. And so Jesus does that for her. And he tells her who she really is. And what she's really wanting, what she's really thirsting for. And so she sees the truth of who he is and she becomes passionate about it. She passes it on. Listen listen to what it says in John 4, 25. It says, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. It doesn't take much for Jesus' response. Look, Look at this very short response Jesus gives her. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And she got it. Lights came on. She, her heart was penetrated. She got it. He's the Messiah. And it says, and distant, his disciples came back. They marveled. He was talking with a woman, but no one said, why do you seek her or, or, or why are you talking with her? But so, take that verse 27 out for a second. Jesus said, I do speak to you, and he, what's her response? Immediately. She understands the truth of who Jesus is. He's a Messiah. What does she do in 28? She says, so the woman left her water jar. That became so secondary she left her water jar, she went away in the town. She said to the people, "Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ?" And they went out of the town and they were all coming to him. She was so overjoyed. She went to the city. And she told everybody all about the man who told her told all about her. The communication of the gospel, it's 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 seen not only in communicating our words but what we're most excited about in our example what we pass on we see it in the gospel it, it's I, I was telling Aaron i really hate that that phrase and if you like it i'm sorry i'll explain why i hate it later uh, i hate the phrase you know um, preach the gospel if necessary use words you know why that's dumb because the gospel is good news that comes with words And it's necessary to use words, not ifness, it's necessary, but what's also necessary at the same time, and maybe that's what they're trying to emphasize, the words of the gospel are absolutely necessary because those words are the very power of God. However, those words must be accompanied with our personal example and backed up by that to validate, to show that we've been affected by that, we believe it, that that we put a trust, and that will be powerful, just like it was in the church in Thessalonica. What we've been most affected by and most passionate about it overflows if we believe the gospel with full conviction and know that we've received it with the power of the Holy Spirit we're going to pass it on John Stott says he says no church can spread the gospel with any degree of integrity let alone credibility unless it's been visibly changed by the gospel that preaches we need to look like what we are talking about. It's not enough to receive the gospel and pass it on. We must embody it in our common life of faith, love, joy, peace, righteousness, and hope. But you, you know the only way we can do that is, is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Day by day, seeking fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Reminding ourselves of what's true each and every day. Preaching the gospel to ourselves each and every day. Asking God for his Holy Spirit to, to enable us to, to live in response to his good news. And remembering who we are in him that we've been made born again where we are brand new. And then saying, God, would you, would you give me people to pass it on to? Would you help me be an example, Lord, and help me love me most passionate about what you are most passionate about? Whatever your profession, you can do that and You don't have to, have to be a vocational minister. It's not the epitome of maturity. It's not to, to be a missionary or a pastor or some Christian worker. No, the epitome of maturity is being people who love the gospel of Jesus Christ, live it out and pass it on because that is what they're most excited about. Who love Jesus with all their heart, mind, and soul, love their neighbors as themselves. Church, let's be this kind of church plant and may we plant other churches. By God's grace, we've had the, the opportunity to do that in the past. We've we helped send out a church plant down to Melbourne, Florida. We've, we've been a part in partnering together financially with other church plants in the area. One church plant that no longer needs our partnership is, is, is Reconciled Community Church just across town. Another church we're currently partnering with is City of Refuge Church. We're going to learn about some of those things. But we have an opportunity and we're hoping to, to, to plant more churches out of this church as well. But even if you're not a part of a church plant physically going somewhere, you can be a part of the gospel going forth in all of the upstate, just like it did in Macedonia and Achaia and all the region around. So nobody needed to tell anybody else because they heard how the good news has affected us. Don't you want to be that kind of church? Amen. Well, we'll pray and then I'll dismiss those who are visiting here with us. So let's pray. God, I pray that you would just give us your gift of conviction, Lord, where we have forgotten the good news, Lord, would we remember and embrace. Lord, for those who have not embraced the good news of your gospel themselves personally, Lord, would you give the gift of conviction? Lord, for those of us who have received the good news of the gospel, would you give us fresh joy? Would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to live holy lives as examples for you so that we might spread the gospel through our example and we might pass it on in our words, Lord? God, we pray this not for our glory, but so that your great name might be magnified and so that you would bring many people to yourself so that, Lord, we can stand together on that day with people from every tribe and tongue and nation who have been affected by the gospel because of our small part that we've played in obedience to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.